The Edmonton Protocol, a technique that proved islet transplants could produce successful results, was a huge breakthrough in diabetes research. Dr. James Shapiro was at the forefront of this breakthrough at the Alberta Diabetes Institute, and in 1999, he initiated the pancreas transplant program at the University of Alberta. He continues to be a world-leading expert in the area of islet transplant, and this year he was awarded Diabetes Canada's Lifetime Achievement Award. I'm Krista Lamb, and today on the Diabetes Canada podcast, I'm thrilled to be talking to Dr. Shapiro about his career and the exciting work he continues to do to help people living with diabetes. Welcome, Dr. Shapiro. Thank you, Krista. Great pleasure to be here. We've talked quite a bit about islet transplants on the podcast, but for those who might be unfamiliar with the Edmonton Protocol, can you explain it? Sure. On March the 11th, 1999, almost uh, 20 years ago, we had a patient uh, taken down to the x-ray department. His name was uh, Byron, and he had long-standing diabetes for about 35, 40 years, and his problem was that he had dangerous lows in his blood sugar that he just could not control with any kind of insulin therapy. And so we infused islet cells into the liver uh, by a, a non-surgical approach. The x-ray doctors passed a little tube in through the skin and in through the liver into the vein going up to the liver. It's called the portal vein. And we infused the, the islet cells up into the liver where they nested. They formed a new blood supply. And his insulin requirements dropped by at least half within, within days of the infusion. And we gave him a second infusion. And after that, he was completely free of insulin. We then treated another six patients after that, and when our seventh patient was treated, uh, we noticed that all seven of them didn't require any insulin injections at all. And this was really striking at the time because all the work up till, up till 1999, there had been around 240 attempts at, at clinical islet transplant across the world, but fewer than 9% of patients were able to stay free of insulin for more than a year. And so this wasn't seen as a very successful uh, treatment. And so the New England Journal uh, picked up our, our manuscript and they were very enthusiastic about it. They um, released it as an early publication. It generated a huge amount of global publicity. And then we went on to uh, uh, carry out a, a, an international multicenter trial with the Immune Tolerance Network and with the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation uh, to replicate the findings of the Edmonton Protocol. And today there are, well, there's at least... 40 centers that have practiced islet transplant across the world. And as I look at the current statistics recorded by the registries, 2,150 islet cell infusions have been carried out uh, since the beginning of the Edmonton Protocol with some newer refinements in, in technique. But it's still a, a very promising treatment. And the best thing about it is it, is it really stabilizes blood sugar control and locks them in, into near normal uh, limits, so, something that cannot be achieved even with the best forms of insulin therapy uh, and monitoring CGMS type systems. So this biological system, uh, when it works well, it can basically replace the need for insulin injections, for, at least for short periods of time. Yeah, I mean, that's something that obviously a lot of people living with diabetes are very interested in. And since you started doing the procedures in 1999, has a lot changed in the technique or is it still very similar? I would say a lot of, a lot of it now is routine. When we first carried out the transplant, preparing the cells from the pancreas was a big ordeal. Uh, we didn't have a proper laboratory for doing that. Uh, we have now a, a dedicated team of, of individuals led by Dr. Tatsuya Kin and, and Doug O'Gorman 
And these, this team of isolated islets from over uh, 2,000 human pancreas organs over the course of time, so they are really expert at doing this. It takes them around six or seven hours to prepare the cells. Uh, we weren't o- often not able to get many cells out of the pancreas when we first started this, but now routinely, we, uh, I'd say our numbers of islets have doubled over the course of time, and the quality of those islets has improved also immensely. So that side of it has improved. The x-ray doctors uh, have got so much better at at putting the cells in the liver with a simple uh, technique that now carries very little risk of bleeding or or clotting in the liver. And we have got better at giving our anti-rejection drugs afterwards to minimize the risk of infections and uh, minimizing the risk of uh, side effects from the medications. So I would say in 2018, with almost 20 years of follow-up now from our first patients treated, we have a very safe intervention that is remarkably effective in really stabilizing glycemic control for patients with difficult-to-control type 1 diabetes to start with. And we, and we can keep patients' hemoglobin A1c level virtually in the normal range. I'm looking at a graph here in front of me now that shows over 100 people treated with the Edmonton protocol with hemoglobin A1c's less than 6.5%. And that's almost impossible almost impossible to achieve with any form of instant injection. And one of the things we talked about with Dr. Peter Sr. when he was on the show was that, you know, as transformative as this is, there's not enough islet cells to go around. Obviously, for someone to be able to donate, someone has to die, and that's not um, a great situation. And so we've talked to some some of the other researchers like Dr. Christina Nostro and Dr. Jenny Bruin, who are looking at developing beta uh, beta cells in the lab. And so do you see this as part of the future of this work? Yeah, I I see the Edmonton protocol and the islet cell transplant as as a, a very successful experiment. But I don't see it as a real cure for the long term for patients with diabetes. But what it has done for us, it's absolutely in black and white proven that if you inject cells that make regulated insulin into patients and they survive, you can basically cure the disease. So I see that if we were to rely on human organ donors, it's, it would be like a drop in the ocean for the real need. If you, know, if you counted the number of people in the world with, with diabetes type 1 and potentially type 2 diabetes, there's 422 million people living with this disease. But the number of organ donors last year was just over... 31,000. So it really is a a, a drop in the ocean, the islet transplant, if you want to deliver for the future. So absolutely, we need another source of cells that would be even more compatible than human islets. And if they're able to regulate and produce appropriate insulin, such as stem cells, I think this is absolutely within our reach. So that's why uh, we initiated trials with with Viasite uh, in um, 2014, clinical trials, having worked with them for almost 12 years before that. And we have also tested Dr. Nostro's cells in, in, in mice previously and been able to at least have mice produce human human insulin and basically cure those mice uh, of, the, of their pre-existing diabetes. And now we're entering clinical trials, and we've been doing this with Viasite now for three or four years, and we're able to get human insulin-producing cells to survive under the skin in patients with type 1 diabetes for variable amounts. And as yet, we're not able to match the engraftment and the function of a human islet that's placed inside the portal vein but this approach and treatment with the human stem cells is is remarkably safe, and it's beginning to show some promise and efficacy. 
That's so interesting. And I think a lot of people who are living with diabetes are watching this really closely with that clinical trial. And I also wanted to ask you a little bit about pancreas transplants, because I know that you've done some really exciting work in that area. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So I, I trained in whole pancreas transplantation, partly because I didn't think the cell transplant thing was really going to take off at the beginning. This was way you know, before the Edmonton Protocol. And the, the pancreas transplant uh, approach is, um, it involves major surgery. We like to do the pancreas transplant when we do a kidney transplant at the same time, because basically the kidney and the pancreas, if they come from the same donor, they tend to behave uh, well together, and there's very little risk of rejection, provided the anti-rejection drugs are given appropriately. And so the, the safety of that operation has improved also remarkably, I would say, over the last 30 years. You know, when it was first carried out in the 1980s, it was a, a risky operation and there were some deaths from it. Nowadays, the risk of dying from that operation is low. Uh, it's probably not as low as an islet transplant because it, the islets don't require surgery, whereas a pancreas transplant does. But today, uh, someone that receives a whole pancreas can get normal uh, sugar control and has much more endocrine reserve than someone who has an islet cell transplant. I think in the future when we learn how to do these stem cells better and deliver more cells that engraft in patients, I think the islet function or the stem cell function will be equivalent to the pancreas. And at that point, there'll be no need to do any more pancreas transplants. But for now, patients that have kidney failure and type 1 diabetes uh, can have an absolute transformation in their lives by having this combined kidney and pancreas transplant. Yes, and with with kidney um, diseases and complications being something that people have to worry about when they live with type 1 diabetes, I think that's somewhat comforting to people. Hmm. So I also wanted to ask you, this year you received the Lifetime Achievement Award from Diabetes Canada. You've done some really remarkable things in your career, and I wondered what inspired you to move into this area. Well, it's funny you asked me that, Krista. I uh, was a medical student in England in, in Newcastle-upon-Tyne. And I was very interested in surgery. I still am a, a very active surgeon. I do a lot of liver transplants, a lot of liver cancer, pancreas cancer type of surgeries. And my life's career, I guess, began wanting to be a surgeon and feeling I was going into a very competitive area. And so I, I worked with um, my, my uh, mentor, uh, John Farnden, who was a surgeon in, in Newcastle, and he had this project project. Uh, carrying out islet cell transplants in, in rats. I knew nothing about islets. I certainly knew nothing about diabetes. No one in my family, fortunately, had had that disease. But I went to work with him, and I worked day and night with him trying to get these cells to engraft and work. And, and most of my experiments at that point failed, and that's sort of what brought me to Edmonton. But it's interesting, when I look back subsequently in the history books, the, the history of islet cell transplant began in the two hospitals where I trained to be a doctor, in, in Bristol and in, in the Royal Victoria Infirmary in Newcastle. Because back in 1893, of course I wasn't around then, in, in Bristol, uh, a 13-year-old boy uh, received um, uh, transplants of pieces of sheep's pancreas taken from the Bristol Downs, uh, placed under his skin. Uh, the transplant worked for a few days and then the boy died. And then in the 1916-1920, another surgeon from Newcastle, uh, on the, I guess on the same wards where I was practicing and learning how to do surgery, uh, Frederick Charles Pybus uh, was experimenting years before me, uh, carrying out uh, uh, transplants using uh, 
basically pieces of pancreas from from organ donors. Today we consider them organ donors. And he found that, um, again, he was able to get the some of the cells to work for a short period of time. But this was, of course, years and years before the discovery of insulin even, and many, many years before any modern concepts of transplantation and immunosuppression, anti-rejection drugs. So it was you know, completely anticipated that those uh, first-in-human trials would, would fail. But but those are the beginnings, and I, I guess I've taken an, an interesting journey in my training, and I've basically followed historically all those places where, where those uh, early surgeries were carried out, and then, of course, now in Edmonton, where the Edmonton Protocol is. And that's a really remarkable, remarkable history that you follow in. And I think that there's so much in your career that you have achieved, which, you know, is remarkable. And I wonder, what do you find that you're most proud of? Well, I very rarely reflect back on things. And I uh, I always look on ahead to our next challenges. And it, I'm most proud right now that we have four really key uh, trials and experiments underway that I hope and believe will be transformative for future patients with diabetes we have a so the first is an immune reset trial i'll, I'll briefly tell you about that second is a t-reg trial where we're infusing regulatory t-cells special t-cells into patients the third is the uh, stem cell transplants that we're carrying out presently in our patients together with with viacite and fourth is our work beginning in the lab where we're trying to use inducible pluripotential stem cells, or in other words, put simply, personalized medicine, taking patients' own cells, turning them back in time, and then turning them forward to be insulin-producing cells. So in the immune set reset trial, we're taking patients just diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and we're giving them two anti-inflammatory medications and a special drug called Pyrixophore that mobilizes repair cells in the body. They're called CD34 stem cells, and this drug releases them from the bone marrow and we're hopeful, and indeed in the very first few patients treated so far, it looks to be promising that we're able to reverse the diabetes state, at least for a while. In the second trial with these Tregs, uh, our hope is that we'll be able to carry out transplants in the islet transplant, but also potentially in other organ transplants like hearts, lungs, livers, uh, kidney transplant, maybe in pancreas transplant, with less need for the anti-rejection drugs. So these are master regulators of the immune system, these Tregs. And the idea is, and the, and the trial we're just starting in the islet patients, is we take some peripheral blood from the patients, we send it to a special lab in San Francisco led by um, Dr. Bluestone and Dr. Tang, and they ex extract and expand these special Tregs, and then they ship them back to us two or three weeks later where we can infuse them back into the patient. And with that, we hope to be able to run the patients on much, much less anti-rejection drugs. The third trials with the stem cells that I mentioned with Viacite are exciting today, but they're going to get even more exciting. You know, Viacite has linked up with uh, WAL Goran Associates, and they have better uh, better machines and, and technology for manufacturing what they call macro encapsulation devices. So we're hopeful that we'll be able to do transplants without the need for um, uh, any immunosuppression. And they're also uh, linked up with um, a CRISPR technology company. Uh, to develop some new stem cells that are called PEC-QT. QT means quiet. In other words, after gene editing, they won't be seen by the immune system of the recipient. And so we're very excited, excited that that approach too will work. And ultimately, we hope that we can take a blood test from a patient diagnosed with diabetes using iPS cells, wind the clock back, and 
make patients own cells that are completely compatible with the body. The challenge we'll have then is to make sure that the autoimmune process that caused the diabetes in the first place doesn't come back, and that still will be a challenge. But you know that's what keeps me ticking, uh, knowing that we have some really bold next steps that will be transformative for patients with diabetes. Well, it sounds like there is so much more to come in your career, and I know that we'll be able to put some of the information about those trials in the uh, the show notes so people can learn more about them. And so thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate this. My great pleasure, Krista. Thank you. Wonderful. And you have been listening to the Diabetes Canada podcast. If you liked this show, please subscribe in iTunes, Spotify, or the podcast provider of your choice so you never miss an episode. Do you have questions or ideas to share with us? Contact us at info at diabetes.ca. And as always, you can find more information at diabetes.ca. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>